the message, we see it happening in the world around us. And Lord, if my brothers and sisters in here feel anything like I do, they feel some angst about it. Uh, we feel, Lord, that so much evil is being perpetuated. And Lord, we want you to deal with it. And I think of the question that I, I hear people ask. If God is loving, then why does he allow evil? Well, the answer is he doesn't allow evil. And every sinful act will be judged. And so, Lord, as we look at this message tonight, may we prepare our, our hearts to meet you at any moment. We surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight we'll be looking at a few verses here in Matthew chapter 24. And what we're actually going to do is go back to learn about the future. We're going to go back to learn about the future from where we sit today. And learn what we can see approaching us in the culture around us. Now in the Bible, or in a Bible of roughly 1,300 pages, about 260 of those pages contain what's called predictive prophecy. This is one of the amazing ways that we know that the Bible is true. And now I got this and I quote, by one count, about 27% of the Bible is predictive. The Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy Baker Publishing Group uh, says this means that when written over one fourth of the Bible, more than one in four verses was prophetic. Professor and theologian J. Barton Payne lists 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. The consistent relation of prophecy in the Bible is staggering on top of that is the amazing accuracy of those detailed prophecies. At least one half of all biblical predictions have already been fulfilled precisely as God had declared. Because of God's faithfulness in fulfilling these prophecies, we can be assured that he will fulfill the rest of the prophecies in scripture without fault. Isn't that awesome? Man, when I learn Bible prophecy, I get excited. And it saddens me to hear people say things like, you know, we don't need Bible prophecy or it doesn't matter. And it's unfortunate they don't understand its place in the scripture and the validation it brings to the scripture. And for that, I am thankful that I've sat under pastors that have held Bible prophecy in its rightful place according, uh, I mean, of course, our pastor, Pastor Jack, right? This who I've sat under for these past 20 years and listened and learned. Now, Isaiah 46 verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So when we look at God's word, and we look at the prophecies contained therein, and we look past to see the prophecies that have been fulfilled, we know for a fact that God will, in fact, fulfill prophecies yet to come. And it's just amazing. Now, as we look at the, the passage here in Matthew 24, the entire passage in Matthew 24 and 25 was written to answer this question concerning the signs of the Messiah's coming, which would terminate the age. The Lord is giving the course of the end of the age prior to the establishment of the kingdom as it relates to Israel and Israel's program. This program is developed in strict chronological order, Schaefer observes. Few portions of the New Testament place recorded events in a more complete chronological order than this address. 
What does that mean? That when we're looking at Matthew 24, we're looking at the most chronological order of all of the Gospels. That's awesome. Now, let's look at the context of the conversation. And just so you know, what I'm not going to do to tonight is I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the prophecy. What we're going to look at is how to live in light of what's coming. Because I think that that's important as Christians that we know how to live with what we see coming towards us. Isn't it easy if you're on the freeway? I don't know if you've done this. Remember how many of you were old enough to remember when the speed limit was 55? And then some famous rock star came out with a song and he said, I can't drive 55. So then none of us did, right? And we all sang that song while we did 56 miles an hour. Do you remember we thought 55 miles an hour was like breakneck speed? Well, it was if you were driving a Volkswagen. I was like pushing the upper end of the RPMs on that thing, right? But then all of a sudden, they made a decision to bump it up to 65. Now, I don't know. It seemed to me that when everybody was doing 55, there would always be some that were doing 60 or 65. But as soon as they went to 65, people started doing 90. And I don't know what's going on. But you get on the road and people are driving like a bunch of maniacs. So the context of the conversation, Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus went out and he departed the temple and his disciples came to show him all the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus is speaking of the temple that was standing at that time. So he said, this is going to be completely destroyed. They were completely dismayed. If you have ever seen or learned about the temple, the second temple built under Ezra, the Temple Mount later expanded uh, by Herod. It took 80 years to expand. They finished completion in about 63 AD, just seven years before its total destruction. Jesus predicted this would happen. They looked at the Temple Mount and they said, there's no way this could be destroyed. Imagine A lot of speculation and talk has been around where is America in the Bible, right? And some try to say, well, it's, you know, these fledgling eagles or whatever. But the reality is uh, that America, we don't really see America clearly in the scripture. Then some people say, well, is that because we're raptured, you know, or, or what? Well, I don't know the reason, but really it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Now you say, well, wait a minute, but this is the country that I live in and the country that I love. Absolutely. I understand that. I feel that way too. But the reality is there's nothing clear enough to say that this is and this isn't. Don't write me letters if you're watching online or you're sitting in here and you have some verse that you are sure is the nail in the coffin because you're not going to change my mind on that because I don't think you can. But the reality is when they looked at the temple and they realized Jesus is saying this is going to be destroyed. Imagine if Jesus said, This United States is going to be destroyed. Uh, We would sit in dismay, would we not? If he said, not one stone will be left upon another. We're thinking our great nation. So now we're kind of in the mindset of what they would have been in. Because this wasn't just uh, Jerusalem or Israel, their nation. This was their worship center. This is the temple. This is where God met with his people until a time, right? And what's amazing is that when Jesus died on the cross... And rose from the dead, that earthquake, of course, uh, cracked everything apart and ripped the, the veil. God ripped the veil from the top to the bottom in two, showing there's no need for this anymore. And of course, Romans and Hebrews lays that out for us clearly. 
And then in 70 AD, the, the temple was completely destroyed. So God fulfilled his word. Proof, right? Now, a question for clarification. This, this caused some angst, no doubt. Matthew 24, verse 3. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Matthew does not record when... But he gives them a couple of other things. Now, we have amazing exegetical teachings on this passage. Go to our website, look up Ed Heinsen and Pastor Jack. You can learn all about this time and this passage. They're phenomenal. The one thing I want to note is who Jesus is speaking to or what he's speaking about. He's speaking to the Jews. Where are they? They're in Israel. Where in Israel? Jerusalem. What are they looking at? The temple. All of these things are Jewish in nature, right? So when he begins Matthew chapter 24, he's not talking about the rapture. You will not find the rapture in this chapter. And anybody that tries to to fit the the rapture in is doing harm to the passage in any of the gospels. So the rapture is not there. This is not pertaining to the rapture. This is pertaining to the second coming of Jesus and the temple and the Jews. Now look at verse 12, because this is the verse we're going to use to launch into the rest of our study tonight. And that's when lawlessness abounds, love will grow cold. When lawlessness abounds, love will grow cold. Matthew 24 verse 12 says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. This is kind of the natural byproduct when people are getting away with murder, then there's, and there's no incentive to punish crime. Then what happens? Well, the people that would normally do good, stop. They they see there's no advantage to doing good. And it really does become a survival of the fittest type environment. And we see this happening. Normal people that would never rob a store as they're walking by and the windows are being smashed and there's a smash and grab going on. They find themselves in a really tough place. And some go, well, they're seemingly getting away with it. The cops are sitting across the street. They're not doing anything. So why not run in and grab a, you know, a new TV? Why not run in and grab some shoes or whatever? And then it's perpetuated. Now, I remember being in Germany a number of years ago, and I saw graffiti everywhere. And I was like really, really puzzled by the amount of graffiti. I was like, wow, you think we're in the hood or something? But... Germany's like a really clean country, other than the fact that there was just graffiti everywhere at that time. And so I said to one of the German friends I have there, I said, why do you guys not paint over it? And he says, if we paint over it, it gives them a fresh canvas and they come back and paint again. And I said, well, that's funny because in the United States, we actually have the opposite view. We actually believe if you leave it up, it encourages more. So the moment they put it up, we paint over it. Did you notice over COVID, did you notice how much graffiti was on the freeways? And did you notice now you don't see it as much? You hardly see it at all. It's a real discouragement if you know, I'm going to go out and spend all this time painting this mural and it's going to be painted over like within hours of me putting it up. But if they're going to leave it up for months, why not just go and like go and do it, right? So you see the difference? If we don't deal with it or we don't do anything about it, then it's going to grow. So the word abound means to increase, and it means it will be rampant everywhere. It's not localized. It will be rampant everywhere. Do we see right now, by the way, this is right, right before the end. This is 
right after we're gone, after the rapture has taken place, but will we see precursors? Yes. Do we see lawlessness abounding now? Yes. Do we see that it's global? Yes. Do we see an event that started it, that kind of kick-started it? Yes. The love of many will grow cold. Charles Spurgeon says, if the heart grows cold, everything will be coldly done. When love declines, what cold preaching we have. All moonlight lit without heat, polished like marble and as chill. What cold singing we get. Pretty music made by pipes and wind, but oh, how little soul song. How little singing in the Holy Ghost, making melody in the heart unto God. And what poor praying. Do you call it praying? What little giving. When the heart is cold, the hands can find nothing in the purse. And Christ's church and Christ's poor and the heathen may perish. For we must needs hoard up for ourselves and live to grow rich. Is there anything that goes on as it ought when love waxes cold? Think about this church. We can't be guilty of this. As the culture is going south, we've got to make sure that we're not. As the culture is going cold, we've got to stay hot. As they're waxing cold in their love, we need to stay fervent. We need to make sure that our hearts are right. Now, the question that I have posed, I have already asked it, is will we see an increase in lawlessness? I didn't want to make you mad tonight. It's easy to do. I, I am right there with you. If I get too much, I get overwhelmed, and I start going like, all right, that's it. We need justice. Where's Batman? <laughs> but that's vigilante justice. Well, if there's no justice, vigilante justice, I suppose, would be better, right? I'm not saying that there's a case for that. Please don't dress up as Batman and go around and... But I'm just going to give you two, two articles that I do think sum up what I'm talking about. Well, The Hill reported uh, this, that the FBI's crime data shows that violent crime, listen to this, peaked around 1991 at a rate of around 758 violent crimes per 100,000 people. A decade later, the rate fell sharply to around 504. Now remember, that's 504 per 100,000. And in 2011, it was down to 387. While the FBI's data is currently only provided through 2020, I wonder why that is. Violent crime rates jumped nearly 400 that year, up from 380 in 2019. Hmm, what happened in 2019? I vaguely remember something happening in... 2019. During that time, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention also reported that the murder rate in the U.S. rose by 30% between 2019 and 2020, marking the largest single-year increase since at least 1905, but possibly ever. Hmm. The MacGyver Institute reported, in response to it, major cities including New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, Baltimore, Portland, and Austin, in addition to Milwaukee, defunded their police departments, and the results were predictably disastrous. Duh. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to know this. Portland saw a 530% increase in its murder rate. Austin saw a 74% rise, 74%. New York's murder rate was 56% higher. 
Chicago's rose by 54%. I think the question you could ask with Chicago is like 54% of what? Because <laughs> they already have a high murder rate. With fewer officers on the street and those who remain all but discouraged from doing actual policing, the criminal element in nearly every major city was emboldened in a way that had never been before. Exactly. You defund the police, and what do you get? Lawlessness. Now, it's interesting that commentators, you know, throughout the, the, the history of commentating on the Bible, really couldn't see something like what we're seeing. So when they would talk about lawlessness abounding, their thought was that it will be so bad that the actual police that we have doing their jobs, meaning the justice system and the FBI and all that is doing what it should be doing. They're not going to be able to keep up with the amount of crime. They didn't know that it was top-down crime. (laughs) They didn't know that defunding the police was a political motivation And what we would do is we would take police off the street and encourage crime. And then on top of that, everybody was turning their back to it with all the smash and grab stuff going on, right? And so, again, like I said, I'm getting worked up. You're probably getting worked up too. (laughs) The answer to the question is absolutely. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Turn there in your Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 1. And by the way, as we read this verse, I want you to keep in mind... That God has given us this verse so that we can be prepared. We don't need to walk around freaking out. Of all people, Christians shouldn't be walking around like chickens with their head cut off. Like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh, we need to move. I know, I get it. Everybody's moving. Look, we'd all move if we could. But the reality is, like for me, if you're like me, the Lord said, you're not going anywhere right now. The Lord's told me this is where I am to be. I'm not, I'm not leaving. So whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We're all going to go through it together, right? And by the way, some of the people that moved away, I think probably a little prematurely, have thus since moved back because they found where they moved, they moved. It was sort of a knee-jerk reaction to the stuff that they were seeing going on. But then when they got to where they were at, they found out the same stuff was going on there. So then they moved back. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, well, I guess it's just this way everywhere. So we'll move back. Just save yourself the money. Just stay here. But it's getting expensive. It's getting expensive everywhere. Okay? It it just doesn't matter where you go. So just what I want you to do is I want you to settle your soul. And I want you to listen to God and the Holy Spirit, right, who is God. And he's going to tell you what to do and when to do it. If you just sit still and you prepare your heart to hear from him each day, then he'll have you right where you need to be when you need to be there. It's just the best way to live. You don't have to stress. You don't have to worry. Don't worry about the home prices. Don't worry about the homeless in your neighborhood. Listen, my wife and I, I don't know, last month we went down to Fashion Island. I could not believe it. There was tents in the middle of Fashion Island. Homeless people in the middle of Fashion Island. I was like, where am I? So just so you know, okay, look at it as an opportunity to, to talk to them about Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Oh, do we see men loving themselves? Oh, yes. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure 
rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, the word last days here is eschatos, which is where we get the word eschatology, and the word perilous means hard to deal with, difficult, or fierce. But as a Christian, not impossible. Difficult? Yes. Do we have difficult days ahead of us? I believe we do. I don't think any of us would disagree. There's difficult days ahead of us. I don't think just difficult days for the church. I think difficult days for the world. The, the world is going through labor pangs and they're getting closer and closer and closer. Right? And as they get closer and closer and closer, birth pangs, what does that mean? The baby's coming. I just became a grandfather. So excited. So we have a brand new baby girl. I didn't think to put her picture up so I could brag on her over. <laughs> but she's absolutely beautiful. But as mama was getting ready, right, the, the time was coming. I was listening to my son and her tell the story. And, of course, my wife and I were just reflecting on going through that four times with our own children. And it's an amazing thing. Is it hard? Is it difficult? Yeah, but something's produced. And we're not going through all this as Christians to end up with nothing or nowhere. We as Christians are going through this in the world right now because God wants to be using us to do stuff, which is be witnesses for him. But we have somewhere we're going and we need to be prepared to get there. First Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Do we see people doing this sort of thing today? Giving heed to deceiving doctrines? Do we see churches popping up, calling themselves churches, saying atrocious things that God's a woman, God's transgender, Jesus was trans... Horrific. Horrific. God is so loving, he doesn't judge them immediately. But if they don't repent... Their judgment is coming. And they can say that this is hate speech. They can throw me in jail. That'd be a short stay compared to where they're going to go unless they repent. And I pray they do. Number two, when lawlessness abounds, don't lose heart. When you watch lawlessness abounding around you, don't lose heart. And I have three ways of not losing heart. Number one, in prayer. Luke 18, verse 1. He spoke a parable to them that men ought always pray and not lose heart. Don't lose heart. You know, you pray and you think, man, I don't even know if God's listening. Everything's still going to heck in a handbasket, you know. But continue to pray. Number two, under this point, in doing good. Don't lose heart in doing good. It's hard, you know. You're doing good. You're doing what's right. And you see everybody around you doing what's wrong. And you feel like you're not getting anywhere. But just remember, you're not doing good to be seen by men necessarily other than for them to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your and my motive, right, supremely should be to lay up treasures in heaven. I want a reward when I get to heaven. You say, well, you're selfish. That's what Jesus said to do. He said, where your treasure is, your heart is. And my heart's not in my house. Trust me. Or anything that I own. It's in the Lord. Amen. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So do good to all. 
your neighbor, the guy in the freeway that just cut you off, your husband, your wife, like whoever, right? And number three under this point, impatience. James chapter five, verse seven, James says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now he gives this example. See the, the hardworking farmer. He waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Now we didn't know what that was until this year. In California, when it would rain before, we'd be like, what is this stuff falling from the sky? And now I know some of you are complaining and I want to remind you not to complain because the Lord is absolutely blessing us in Southern California. Don't complain. We're like that, right? We're like complaining that it doesn't rain and then it rains and then we're complaining that it rains. And then we're like the children of Israel. He's like, okay, well, how about the earth swallows you up? You're like, okay, we'll have, we'll have the rain. (laughs) Verse eight, you also be patient. Listen. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your heart. Be patient. Yeah, things are going crazy in the world around us. It's frustrating. To see the amount of evil being perpetuated. Every time you turn around, someone's trying to slip some horrible grooming video into YouTube or into your kid's life. It's frustrating. Establish your hearts. Be right. Number three, when lawlessness abounds, be bold and confident. Bold and confident. In Jesus first, look at Proverbs 28 verse one. I love this verse. Now, one of our, one of our pastors, he likes to use this verse for people who like running. He says, if you run, this verse applies to you. The wicked flee when no one pursues. You're just going out for a run. (laughs) But look at this. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You ever see lions like walk around all cowardly? No, because the lion, they say, is the king of the jungle, right? So when he's walking around, like nobody messes with the lion. He's bold. Why? This is a lion. He needs to go lay down wherever he wants. If you're in his territory, you know what you don't do? You don't go lay down wherever you want. He can, because he's a lion. All the other animals that are prey to the lion, they don't go lay wherever they want. <laughs> and if they do lay down, they've got, they got other little animals watching, right? Because the lion is to be feared. Now, this doesn't mean that we make the culture fearful. That's not what this means. It means we're as bold as them. You may look up to pastors or your favorite bible teacher and say wow they're bold but god wants you to be bold you know how hard that is to be bold listen this is easier for me than walking up to a door of a stranger and knocking and talking to them about jesus this is way easier now you might say that's freaky i would never go up there this is this is more impersonal though like i just come out and talk for an hour and then bye and then i walk off right and then I get the emails later on. You're horrible. You're stupid. And, you know, and, and I'm like, it's all right. You didn't, you didn't, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. <laughs> it's not news to me. But to go talk to a stranger, that's different. That's hard. Acts 4.13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, untrained men. That's me. Uneducated, untrained. 
high school diploma, that's it. I remember one time I did a wedding and some guy came up to me and he's, what university did you go to? And I said, I didn't. He's like, what Bible college did you go to? I said, I didn't. How, How did you become a pastor then? I was like, I don't know. They were hiring. And I put in a resume. It's the Lord. I said, listen, Calvary Chapels believe, well, at least they used to. I hope they also, I don't know what they all believe nowadays, but they used to believe that when God calls a man into ministry, uh, the education isn't important, right? I mean, it's not a knock. If you have an education, that's great. And God does call, but not many wise, not many noble. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's why he's using me. Okay? I'm a big yo-yo. And it's surprising that he uses me. But he uses me to confound the wise. Because people that are educated, just so you know, being educated doesn't make you smart. And being uneducated doesn't make you stupid. Think of how smart criminals are. Well, most of them. If you start a search for, the, for Florida, man, I mean, there's all kinds of, wow, that guy was really dumb, you know, but most criminals are very smart. They figure out ways around systems. Think about it. They're not stupid. They just didn't have the right upbringing. They didn't have a father influence. There's a hundred reasons why they may have ended up in a life of crime, but they're not dumb. So don't look down your nose at someone if you're educated and they're not. And vice versa. Don't look down on someone because they're educated and you're not, right? But love one another. So here's the thing, though. They realized they were uneducated, untrained men. They marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Well, he's obviously been with Jesus. Where else would he have learned this? Be bold and confident that Jesus is working in you. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? He's going to complete what he started. He's started a project. He's not like you and I. We start projects and we leave them. And then three years later, we come back and go, I should finally finish that thing. God's not like that. You may feel like he's doing that to you, but he's not. He's constantly working. And be bold and confident that he hears your prayer. Look at 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Number four, when lawlessness abounds, hold fast. Hold fast. And I put here specifically to sound doctrine. Church. You need to hold fast to sound doctrine. You really need to be careful in going on the internet and listening to whoever. Because there's some really, you know, motivational speakers out there that they really get you like feeling good. And it's like cotton candy. It's dangerous. I hear people quoting people. Listen, you're safer to quote the Bible. Don't quote me. Don't quote Jack. Don't quote. I don't care. Quote the Bible. You have the word of God. That's living and powerful. Not me. Not what I say. The word of God. 
So 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.1, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come, listen, we're in that time, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. By the way, every one of you has a ministry. Don't look, oh, the church has a ministry. Do they have a ministry where I can get ministered? No, no, no. You are the church. If you don't come here with the ministry that God has given you and you don't provide that ministry to the people around you, you're missing out. God wants you to use what he's given you to minister to people. Number five, when lawlessness abounds, make disciples. Make disciples. Matthew 28, 19. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Is he with us now? Yes. Yes. Has he commissioned us? Yes. Yes. That was much quieter. Let's try that again. Is he with us? Yes. Has he commissioned us? Yes. That's how it should be every time. I noticed the first time you were like, yeah. And the second time you were like, yeah. (laughs) You go disciple those people, Shadrach. (laughs) This is you, is you. Me is me. You is you. We got that straight? (laughs) God wants you to disciple. Who are you discipling? Everyone. I hope so. (laughs) How do you disciple? Ah, oh, ah, oh. we do a Bible study. Is that what Jesus did? Did he just sit down with it and do a Bible study? I mean, of course, every time he talked, he opened his mouth. It was a Bible study. But did he, did, did he go like walking around the Judean countryside and they just followed along with him? They saw what he did, right? They were with him when he was tired. They saw when he wanted to maybe say, oh, man, that's it. You guys, one more, one more prayer, and then I'm going to leave. I need to get home. My favorite show's on tonight. Did he do that? No, they saw him when he was tired. Did, did they see him get upset? Yes. When he flipped tables. I mean, how upset do you have to be to make a whip? He made one. He didn't go on Amazon. All right, let's see. This one has five stars. Says it leaves pretty good welts. <laughs> Same day if we over twenty, if we ordered over twenty-five dollars, guys. Anybody? You want a whip too, Simon? And right, what do we need whips for? We'll call down fire. But did he turn the tables? Yes. yes. Did they see him upset? Oh yeah. Did they forget that? No. No. Did they see him under control? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And they watched him die. They watched him die. 
Were they sad? Yeah. But then three days later, what happened? Yeah, he rose again, huh? Did they see him risen from the dead? Yeah. Did they eat with him? Yeah. They watched him eat. They watched him do everything. That's discipleship. You don't need a church. So many people think discipleship is, it has to be done at the church. No, discipleship is every day of your life. The people that you have in your life. You got kids, you got grandkids, disciple them. Show them how you live. You know, we are all discipling somebody in some way. You all are. But are you discipling them in Jesus? What message are you giving them? Paul called Peter out because he wasn't being straightforward about the gospel. And the word straightforward is in the Greek, the word peripedeo, and it means to walk in a straight line or side by side, right? One step walking and leaving a path to be followed. And what Peter was doing is he was saying, yeah, you got to be born again and you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law and you need to be born again. And what he was doing was he wasn't leaving a straight path for anybody to follow. It wasn't clear what he was doing. So Paul called him out. And what happened after that? Peter changed. Remember in Acts, when he was given the vision, he was super hungry. And what does God do? Gives him like a food commercial. (laughs) Let's down a sheet, but it's filled with unclean animals. And he tells Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm a good Jewish boy. I've never eaten any of that stuff. That's unclean. And God says to him, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Why did he do that? Was it about the food? No, it was about the Gentiles. He was going to send him to the Gentiles. And then he went and he saw them speak with tongues and glorify God. And he went, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them too. Think of the discipleship that Peter had after that. Think of the life that he lived. And of course, you can read First and Second Peter and see Peter is not the guy that he was when he denied Jesus. And all of the stuff that Jesus had been teaching him came back to him. And he remembered it. And as you read through the scriptures, you see that often. Then they remembered. Then they remembered. Jesus said this. Then they remembered. Jesus said, I'm telling you this now so when it comes to pass, you may know that I am he. And then when it came to pass, they were like, What? He said it was going to happen and it did. So make disciples. Number six, when lawlessness abounds, remain loving. Oh, that's hard. Our mission remains the same. You know, our mission hasn't changed. Make disciples. Yes, sir. Right? That's just, that's it. But the world, God's like, hey, don't worry about the world. Don't worry about you. You worry about you. Don't worry about what's going on across the street. Don't worry about that other person that's getting what you think they're tax evasion or whatever. Like, don't worry about it. You worry about you. You do what's right. Everybody else is doing it. Okay, how many of you are parents? You ever use this on your kids? Well, if everybody else walked off the cliff, would you? (laughs) Did you ever use that? Okay. And my response when I was younger was, well, it depends on how high the cliff is. And it depends, is there water underneath it? You know, like one of those, you know, your parents are just like, you know what? You're making me crazy. It's too smart for my own good. So I say that to teenagers all the time and they're like, they laugh because they know it's true. But sometimes we feel it. We're driving on the freeway, right? What's the speed limit again? 65. What? 
65. But how many of you think if the flow of traffic is doing 80, I should be doing 80? You're all breaking the law there, raising your hand, you lawbreakers. Look at you, admitting it in church. We got cameras everywhere. And we got facial recognition. <laughs> John thirteen thirty four. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Everybody else in the parking lot's honking and like wanting to run everybody over. You be loving. You be the one that's patient and waits. You let other people go first. But I gotta go home. We've all gotta go home. <laughs> we'll all get home eventually, right? But be loving. Romans twelve ten. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another could you imagine what would church be like if you went to a church and you walked in and everybody was like no 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 after you oh no no oh hey how are you doing everybody's loving on anybody there's no clicks right there's none of that what would you do would you would you think everybody there was on drugs you would but would you want to go back to that church yeah i remember long before my wife and i came here uh, one of the churches we went to it was, it was very customary, you know, people were just like, South Orange County didn't want to touch each other. It was kind of like, you know, it was, yes, believe it or not, I grew up in South Orange County. Actually, Orange County, but we moved to South Orange County. People were just like, handshake, right? <laughs> then we move out, we start going to a church out here in Riverside. I'll leave it nameless. We walk up to go in the church, and the, it, I'm not saying to do this, okay? I'm just saying, because I know some of you may be ushers or greeters. I'm just saying, this is what happened to it. We walked up, and the person just grabbed me and gave me a hug. And I, I, I didn't know what to do, so I just stood there. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> you know, one of those... Yeah, because that's it. I, it's the way I am. I'm like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of the way I grew up. I, I don't know if you remember. I told you when I was 13, you know, I became a man and I went to give my dad a hug and he shoved out his hand. He said, we do handshakes now. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess. Oh, well, I didn't know any better. I was just like, well, I guess that's part of being a man. Right. So, OK, shake my hand until he became born again. And then he gave me a hug. And I was like. Because <laughs> I didn't, you know. But if we love one another, we're kindly affectionate to one another, giving preference to one another. What happens? Isn't that contagious? Because the next time I went back to the church, I was ready. I was like, oh, I'm hugging them before they hug me. I'm standing like, no fool. I'm going to grab them and bear hug them, right? Now, be careful, because if you're here and you, like, it's not loving to hug someone that doesn't want to be hugged. You've got to read people's body language, right? Some people are huggers and some people are not. you just got to be careful. But... The reality is we're giving preference. You want to hug? Okay, I'll give you a hug. You don't want to hug? All right, fine, I won't hug you. You want a high five? Okay, I'll give you a high five, right? That's, we're kind of like trying to figure each other out. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So when we consider each other, what does it do? Stirs up love and good works. You know? Instead of letting that stuff settle at the bottom, we stir it up. By the way, we treat each other when we come into church. It's amazing. And when we do this, the world around us looks and goes, hey, I want in on that. 
Why do you think all those... I haven't seen the movie yet, but I know many of you have the, the Jesus Revolution movie, right? Why do you think... Uh, that was such a big... Why do you think the hippies were all running? They were all looking for love. And Chuck would sit on a stool and, you know, he'd just, you know, smile. You, so glad you're here, you know. And they were eating it up because they were being loved on. The, the, the world came in. We want to see that happen? Then we have to be like that. It ain't going to happen if we're not like that. Nobody wants to be around people who are crotchety. <laughs> Mike here. Eh, what are you doing here? Eh. Oh, you're back? <laughs> or say, my friend's mom, they went to church. My, we, went to, well, I don't know, we went to church. And the, my friend's mom said to my mom, I never thought I'd see you here. What? <laughs> That's the attitude of someone at church? I never thought I'd see you here. Did you know that <clears throat> you're sitting in my chair? <laughs> I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but I will tell Pastor Jack if I have to. <laughs> Number seven, when lawlessness abounds, get ready. Romans 13, verse 11, and do this, knowing the time. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's never been this late in history before. We've never, nobody in history has ever been this close to the rapture. Nobody. We're as close as anybody has ever been, unless you live on the East Coast. (laughs) But right now, for us here, this is the closest we've been. And that's the point of this. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Don't lose sight of that. Sometimes we get caught up in, with everything going on around us and we forget. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill it in its lusts. And the word provision means to, it means to let yourself think about ways. In other words, don't think And therefore, plan ways to satisfy your flesh. Make no provision. Don't even let it be a thought in your mind. We have time for that. The Lord is at hand. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Ooh. They can go ahead and say what they want. Oh, those hate speechers. They tell the truth. We'll get our fact checkers to tell them they're wrong. We don't retaliate. We don't throw eggs at them. We continue to do what's right. Stand for the truth. And in the day of visitation, they got to deal with Jesus. Number eight and last, when lawlessness abounds, look up. Look up. Matthew 24, verse 32. 
Jesus said, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, it puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all of these things, know that it is near at the doors. We are seeing all the signs, the labor pains, all of that stuff is showing us we're getting really close. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, I want you to notice, and I want you to be able to stand on this. Paul says here, we, the, I call these the we statements of Paul in relation to the rapture. People say, well, the rapture is a new invention and blah, 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 whatever. It's not. It goes all the way back to Paul, all the way through the early church fathers and all the way through history. And Darby made it popular, but it existed long before that. In our modern world, he made it popular, but it's been believed forever. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And what does he say? And we we shall be changed. Paul didn't say they or you. He said we. Paul believed he would be a part of this. 1 Thessalonians 4.15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And what? Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another's with these words. It's not a... Scare tactic? I read in an article not too long ago that amongst Gen uh, Zers, that the topic of the rapture is creating anxiety. I'm like, what? Is that because like mom and dad are like, you better watch it, the rapture could happen. I mean, I guess that would create anxiety, but I don't, I've never heard anybody say anything like that. Okay, and just so you know, Gen Z is having anxiety about everything. So don't pick out just the rapture. They're having anxiety about that. They're having anxiety about all kinds of stuff. Not just that. So don't, don't blame that. But the reality is, this is not something that's given, as Ed Heinsohn would say, that prophecy isn't meant to scare you, but to prepare you. It's to prepare you. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. Did you know the word Maranatha in the Syriac expression means our Lord comes. It was used as a greeting in the early church. When believers gathered or parted, they didn't say hello or goodbye, but Maranatha. If we had the same upward look today, it would revolutionize the church. Oh, that God's people had a deepening awareness of the imminent return of the Savior. While on a South Pole expedition, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton left a few men on Elephant Island promising that he would return. Later, when he tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked the way. But suddenly, as if by miracle, an avenue opened in the ice and Shackleton was able to get through. His men, ready and waiting, quickly scrambled aboard. No sooner had the ship cleared the island than an iceberg crashed together behind them. Contemplating their narrow escape, the explorer said to his men, it was... Fortunate that you were packed and ready to go. They replied, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, the boss may come today. The hymn writer Horatius exhorted us, 
to be ready for the last moment by being ready at every moment. So attending to every duty that let him come when he may, he finds his house in perfect order awaiting his return. The trump may sound any time how important for us as Christians to be packed and ready to go. As you leave home today, don't say goodbye, say Maranatha. John said in 1 John 2.28, Now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, as Christians, we don't stand with our suitcase waiting for Jesus to show up, twiddling our thumbs. I brought this out tonight to symbolize that we should always be about our father's business and ready to go. That's why this has wheels. I could take it with me wherever I want. While you're talking to people about Jesus and you're busy about your father's business, you're ready to go, right? Are you busy about your father's business and are your bags packed? Are you ready to go? You don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming. When that trumpet sounds, you want to have a joy and an excitement as you're taken to meet Jesus face to face someday. And we all will stand before him someday, whether by rapture or rupture. Either by death or in the moment or the twinkling of an eye. And I pray that you are all ready. Father, as we close in a song of worship tonight, and I pray everybody would just stay seated. Don't, don't rush out. Don't use this as the... Teams are wrapping up, the angels are clearly winning, and, or they're losing, and I'm mad, and I'm going to get to the parking lot. Lord, may we just pause to reflect tonight in this song of worship, your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, the sacrifice upon the cross, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning, and God, tonight I pray that you would pour out a blessing upon your people. Bless them and keep them in all of your ways. And Father, as they go about the rest of their week, seeking to bring you glory, to be ready. Lord, may they live with every breath to exalt you and to glorify your name. Help us as a church to be loving. Light us on fire. Lord, we need you. We praise you and we thank you. And we give you this time in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.